stand up with us. And also at the end of the message, if I forget, if you're on live stream, when I ask us to stand at the end, if you could stand up from your couches, your chairs, on the floor, whatever you're watching, uh, just honoring the Lord. It's, it's, I believe it's an honoring to the Lord um, when we get up and read his word and also uh, when we pray. It's not a, a legalistic thing. We don't have to do it. There's no law that says that. We, uh, but we do it in order to jostle ourselves and, and, and focus on the Lord. Sometimes physically it helps. You know, we, at the 8.30 prayer, most of us are kneeling, and there's just something about kneeling that our heart follows suit when we kneel. And so sometimes we need to do that, do things like that physically. And so that's why we, we stand. Not, not, not because it's a law. If you don't want to stand, you don't have to, but... Um, to stand to sort of jostle us and get us really focused on, on the word. So uh, chapter by chapter, we're going through the book of Mark, and we have arrived at chapter 3, verse 1, which says, And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he, Jesus, said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger... Being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Edomia, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. Father, and we come to you now. Uh, We have heard with our ears, seen with our eyes, and experienced in our lives, just as it says in verse 8, how many things you have done, you have done in our lives. Just as the, the worship team just led us in song. Just pray, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray. Would you touch us, Lord, with your word that we would, among a, that we would come to you with surrendered hearts that if there is any part of our heart, Lord, that is withered, that doesn't see 
that doesn't recognize, that doesn't acknowledge the, the goodness of God in our lives, that we would repent and turn to you, that times of refreshing may come to our lives. I pray that you give us understanding. Give us life, Lord. As your word, by the Spirit, just raises our countenances in this first Sunday of 2021, Lord, do a great work in us, Lord, as your word goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So again, we are at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. By this time, he has attracted an enormous amount of attention. In our chapter-by-chapter study, up until this point, we have read that so powerful was his teaching that it left people astonished. We read that in Mark 1, 21. Other translations of that verse say the people were astounded, awestruck, overwhelmed by his teaching. We read that his miraculous physical healings left people amazed and caused them to just break out in praise to God. Oh God, we thank you. We can't believe you visited us with this, with this uh, mercy, but that we were able to see this astounding miracle right before our eyes. This is what's happening As we enter into Mark chapter 3, we read that Jesus went to a feast with the worst kind of evil sinners that lived in that city, leaving people, religious people, very confused. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. Last week we read of that he and his disciples, being hungry, took advantage of the Jewish law, which permitted hungry people to turn off the road into a farm and take some grain to eat. And Jesus, doing that, was confronted by the religious people for working on the Sabbath. They were not harvesting. They were just getting enough to eat. But it looked enough like work to the religious people. And so they went to Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 24. Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus' response was a shock to everyone. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We spent a lot of time on that verse. God has not given the Sabbath, which for Jews was the last day of the week. For Christians, it's the, it's the first day of the week the, in recognition of the day that Jesus was, uh, rose from the dead. God did not force the Sabbath on man as a religious day to beat man and women over the head with oppressive Sabbath rules. He gave it to man as a gift. One day a week, no work. We go to church to worship God, and here's the real shocker, to be served by God. 
Served by God? I thought we're, spo- we're supposed to serve God. Well, that's true, but no one has ever, listen, no one's ever been able to serve God who was not first served by God. Jesus says, who is greater? Who is greater? Who is greater? The one who sits at the table to eat or the one who serves the person who sits at the table? Is it not the one who sits at the table, yet I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to serve, to be the waiter, to serve you? No better illustration of this than where we are this morning in chapter 3 of Mark. Jesus comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man with a withered hand. Now, literally in the Greek, that means dried up. Shriveled up. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. A shriveled up arm or hand. The arm is smaller than the other. It is shriveled. It's, it's, there's been sort of an atrophy, a weakening of the muscles. It really can't be used for anything. In the book of Luke, we find out that this man, it's his right hand. Jesus calls the man to step forward. The man does. He asks Jesus to stretch out his hand. He does, and the hand was restored. Verse 5 says, as whole as the other. That is what we do on the Sabbath. We go to church with that withered part of us, that broken part of us, that shriveled up part of us to be made whole. That soul with uh, withered by discouragement, restored to encouragement. That soul withered by unbelief and doubt, restored to belief. That soul withered by fear, restored to faith. That soul withered by betrayal, by physical or emotional abuse, restored to dignity. The soul withered by pride and selfishness, restored to humility and love. That's what happens on our Sabbath day when we go to church. We are served by the Lord. The first thing, the Sabbath Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, how we must come to God fully expecting him to serve us, to meet us right where we're at, withered up and all, restore us, to build us up, giving us healing, faith, and dignity. Oh, how Jesus loves us. Oh, how he loves you and wants to restore that withered part of you today and make it whole. The first thing he does when he comes into the synagogue here in Mark 3, he calls this man with a withered hand, and he said, stretch out your hand. He's calling you to himself today to present you that withered part of you because he wants to make it whole. Do you have a withered part to you that you're willing to acknowledge before the Lord 
Or has church just become a meaningless, rich, religious ritual? Where you come in and out of church as if you had everything all together. Back in our text in verse 2, Jesus comes in to the synagogue. It says, They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, those who were watching, looking for something to accuse, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life, or to kill it. In the book of of Matthew, he adds this. He adds this in the parallel account in the book of Matthew. What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. And then it says at the end of verse four, but they kept silent. Verse five says, and when He had looked around at them. So just imagine the scene. He's looking around at them. So there's not just a few. He's looking around at at them. Apparently there's many. It appears that there's many. He's looking at them. With anger. being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Now that is one deep Bible verse. I think it's only in Mark. He looked around at them in anger, being grieved. Say what? That doesn't even make sense. Let's try to go deep. Jesus gets angry here. There is such a thing as righteous anger. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.26, the Apostle Paul quoting Psalm 4.4, be angry and sin not. Now, I must say, and I really mean this, 32 years walking with the Lord. 
many, many years in ministry, I very, 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 very rarely see anger that does not have sin attached to it. Very rarely. The book of James says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. When someone cuts you off on the road, you get angry. That's not righteous anger. That's sin. You got angry because you think your personal rights have been violated. And guess what? You have no rights as a Christian. You gave them up when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. When the bank teller says, sorry, we are closed. I can't help you. And it's 4.55 p.m., five minutes before closing. And you get angry. That's not righteous anger. That's, uh, you got angry because you think your personal rights have been violated. You gave up your rights when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, when you're talking with someone. And they're just incredibly disrespectful. Pastor Steve, that was the most boring sermon I ever heard. It did absolutely nothing for me. If I get angry, it's because I think my personal rights have been violated. I gave them up when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, this is not biblical, this is crazy, what you are saying. Uh, uh, well, it may be crazy, to the natural man. But the spiritual man, the man or woman who's led by the Spirit, knows about Romans 12, verse 14, which says what? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The man or woman who is led by the Spirit knows Jesus' command in the Sermon of the Mount. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Luke 6, 27. On his way to the cross, Jesus was repeatedly. His personal rights repeatedly were trampled on. He was spit upon, beaten, mocked. When he was hanging on the cross, covered with blood, it says that those who passed by wagged their heads at him. At the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, is who Jesus is called. And they shouted out, he saved others, let him save himself. And yet he never got angry. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 describes the love that he had on the cross. Love is not provoked to anger. Only Jesus ever lived that way. In the midst of being disrespected, dissed, he said what? Luke 23, 24, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In Luke 9, 26, Jesus says, and if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, meaning when you're at the bank teller and he closes and says, I'm not going to help you, even though it's 4.55. You bless them in your heart. 
you bless them. In other words, we're supposed to behave the same way when we're hanging on a cross and being disrespected. That's the life you've been called to. Like I said, I rarely, rarely, rarely see anger in a human being, Christian or not Christian, where there's anger in me as well when there's not sin attached to it. Now, uh, when is anger righteous then? When is anger righteous? Be angry and do not sin. Well, we learn that from Jesus. Right here in Mark chapter three, you will notice Jesus gets angry when others' personal rights are being violated, when others are being sinned against, when others are being disrespected, oppressed, judged, what is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when your neighbor, someone's trampling on your neighbor, and you get angry, there's the potential then for righteous anger. When Jesus went into the temple in Jerusalem and overturned all the money-changing tables and drove out all who were buying and selling, why did he do that? Because people were being hurt by money-changers charging outrageous amounts to change money. He was also angry because God himself, God the Father, was being disrespected. You could say God was being hurt. Jesus said to those who drove out, um, he drove out of the temple, my house shall be called, uh, uh, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. So in Mark chapter two, Jesus is angry because there is a man who's suffering. His hand is withered. His right hand, the, right, the, the, the hand that he would use primarily to earn a living, and, and they would rather have him continue in his suffering. The leadership there and the church would rather, and the synagogue would rather have him continue in his suffering so that they could protect their self-righteousness by their obedience to man-made Sabbath rules. Religion had made their hearts hard, and Jesus says, and it says that that made Jesus angry. But then what we read, this is what looks to us crazy. Like the Bible made a mistake or something. It says he was grieved. When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved. That means his heart filled with sorrow. Saddened, mourning. Let's take a look at some other translations. The New Living Translation. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened. It's at the same time. By their hard hearts. Another translation, and he looked around about on them angrily, mourning, meaning weeping, at least in his heart, the blindness of their hearts. You say, what is this? What is this? It's righteous anger. It's a rare thing. 
I don't see this. I, this is not me when I get angry. This is, it's not me. Jesus is angry because there's a poor, helpless, suffering man who is made in the image of God, whose life is being trampled on by the very ones who should be ministering life to him. Um, But because he sees the future of these men who have hard hearts, he sees at that moment, he is able to see them in torment, in eternal hell. We're going to get to Mark chapter 9. Please pray for me. Sort of the, I'll say it may be the second hardest chapter after Romans chapter 9 to teach. In, Romans, in Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better you to enter life maimed rather than with having two hands, rather than having two hands, than go to hell into fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And then the preacher stops because everyone is so uncomfortable. No, Jesus in Mark chapter 9 repeats the same thing and tells them again. And then the preacher stops because people are super uncomfortable. Not Jesus. A third time he tells them. It's better to, this time he says, it's better to pluck your eye out. It's better to Pluck your eye out. If it causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter life maim rather than having two hands and go to hell into fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and, and the fire is not quenched. Jesus taught about hell more than he taught about heaven. Why? Because he came to earth to save people from hell. And the one thing that would keep someone f- from heaven and send them to hell was a hard heart. And that's, it says right here, it says Jesus in verse five of Mark chapter three, he was grieved, he was saddened, he was mourned by the hardness of their heart, their hardened hearts of unbelief. They were rejecting love. They were despising love. Not only rejecting love towards their uh, fellow human being, this man with a withered hand, but they were rejecting the love of God towards them. John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, God so loved the world that he sent me. And they're rejecting him here. They're rejecting love. And so he was deeply angered that they were allowing this man under the cover of religion to suffer but his heart was mourning over them because he saw the future. He saw them in torment. Jesus, angry and deeply saddened at the same time. That is righteous anger. That's what it means to be angry and do not sin. How can you be angry at someone without also weeping for them if you know their future is eternity apart from God and the suffering that accompanies that? 
Don't you long to be like Jesus? We had all-day prayer last Friday, January 1. We had all-day prayer, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. We spent the last hour just telling God how we long to be like him. Asking him in 2000, for 2021 to greatly multiply that longing. God, I want to be like this. I want to be able to see this person who is, this man or woman who's dissing me, Lord, and have and, and, and have a, a sense of a, a view of their eternity. If they're an unbeliever, an eternity, Lord, interment, if they're, if they're a believer, the fact they have a, a withered heart, they have a withered soul that, that, that is robbing them of, of joy in, in, in life. Uh, recently, uh, uh, it was, uh, someone sent me an email that was from one Christian to another and was asking me uh, advice of what to do, and the, 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 the email was just filled with with. with, with Bitterness and 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 I got a piece of what it was like to be to, to have a heart like Jesus. I, I I my heart wept for this person who is sending this email with such bitterness, with such hardness of heart. Oh, what a oh the life that a, a Christian who has a withered hand, a withered soul, unforgiveness or bitterness or or lack of trust in in their heart, a lack of a belief, the the witheredness. Oh, oh God, oh Jesus, do I want to be like you? I've been doing a lot of uh, of searching. And just in my heart, in the last three or four months, about the, 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 the church in the United States, why is it that it's not unusual for someone to go decades with little or no growth in their life? We just read about yet another Christian celebrity of the last 30 years who is in serious, serious, serious sin. Why is this so prevalent? Could it be that because of the doctrine of grace, we're saved by grace? There's nothing that we can ever do in 20 lifetimes to earn salvation. And the Bible says that when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ... At that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and God at that moment sees Jesus, the perfection, the blamelessness of Jesus, rather than all our sin, past, present, and future. Do we take that doctrine, and and, and do we turn it into a complacency, a laziness in, my, in our life. I don't have to long to be like Jesus. I'm perfect before the Lord. That's the beauty of the doctrine of grace. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. 
The Holy Spirit in us drives us to our knees to cry out to Jesus, I long to be like you, Jesus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, I, I, I consider everything else in my life rubbish. And then he says in verse 10, that I might know Jesus. That's not talking about knowing facts. That's talking about going deep with personal experience, striving with the Lord. That I might know him. That I might know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Let me tell you, that is a man who wants to know Christ. If, if you want to know Jesus, you say, Lord, if I have to suffer like you did, do it. If it means I'll know you better. That's, that's what it means to long to be like Jesus Christ. Paul says, um, Paul says um, I do, verse 13 of uh, Philippians 3, I do not count, my, count myself to have apprehended, meaning to have gotten to a place where I know him fully. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Calvary Chapel, if God's not doing that, if you have no compulsion, no longing to be like Jesus, you may not be a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit drives us to long to be like our Lord. Jesus, being able to look at sin and be angry, yet mourning at the same time in his heart. I don't know about you, I want to be like that. Talk about a fruitful Christian. It's a Christian with that heart. I long to have that heart to be fruitful for the Lord to be able to serve him. Let's close out in, 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 in Mark chapter uh, three. The worship team actually can come up at this time. I think we have so a time for a couple songs, Dan. It says here, in, at, in verse five, so he's, he's, he's angry and he's grieved at the same time and he says to the man, remember he's told the man, first thing he did, he went, he, 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 first thing he does and when he comes into the temple, he ministers to the man who had a withered hand. That's what he wants to do with you when you come into a church service, whether it's in person or live stream. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. Notice, we have a responsibility. We gotta, we gotta get rid of our pride and stretch out our withered, that withered part of it. He stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then in verse six, then the Pharisee went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians. The Herodians were secular politicians, you could say followers of King Herod. They really didn't care about religion. They cared about politics. And here you have religion and politics marrying. Always evil. Always evil. That's what we saw so much of in the year 2020. Let's just all repent of it. It's right here. The Pharisees went out 
immediately and plotted with the politicians, the Herodians, against Jesus how they might destroy him. You may be shocked at that. Listen, that's the, that's how, that's the grip that sin has over us. It's that strong that we can see uh, that we so bad want no accountability to a God in our life. We so bad want full control. We're willing to have God do this blatant miracle right before our eyes and turn against him and reject him anyway. Sin is that powerful. Oh, how thankful we are for the grace of God. And we see the grace in verse, eight, verse seven and eight. He withdrew with the disciples and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. There were those who saw the grace, who saw the love, who saw this extraordinary scene of a man with, uh, who could be angry and mourning at the same time and loving and, and, and confronting at the same time. That's who we want to be. You will long to be like Jesus. Let's rise for the closing worship song. If you're on live stream, if you could rise where you are at your house and we could close. And let's close and begin 2021 with, I th- we have time for a couple worship songs. Let's do it, Calvary Chapel. Let's, let's worship. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for opening up our eyes, opening up our minds. And God, we, lo- we, we, we come to, the, to this service, our Sabbath, the Christian Shabbat, first day of the week, the day that marks the day of your resurrection, to learn about you. Lord, I don't know about everyone else, but I learned about you something new for the first time ever. Just in these verses. Just a few verses Lord you're always opening up your heart to us oh God that we would continue to understand how wide and long and high and deep is our great salvation if you're on live stream I strongly encourage you to go into prayer at this time or, uh, or at this time or after the worship finishes Got, we've fallen a little behind on that. I'd like to, once again, stress and emphasize and encourage you to go into the prayer room on Zoom. The password is Mark 3. Mark 3, if you can go into the Zoom meeting during worship or after worship. That's English and Spanish. Okay, let's worship together. <laughs>